Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways USA with me, Al Murray, uh, James Holland and John McManus. And uh, this week we started heading in this direction while we were talking about Guadalcanal because we got quite deeply sidetracked into talk, talking about um, the, the, the thin red line, didn't we? Yeah. And so we've decided that what we're going to do is uh, is talk about saving Private Ryan. Come on. <laughs> Come on, let's just it's do like it. Halloween candy. We we just gotta <laughs> dive in. I mean, you know, we all want to just go into it in detail. Can't resist, right? And, and this, I mean, I will say, John, this was this was very much your idea. I mean, not that not that we're objecting. Um, <laughs> but, Put it but, any but opposition this, whatsoever. <laughs> this this is very much your impetus. It, it sits very prominently in people's sort of, you know, it was a thing that stimulated an awful lot of people to be interested in the Second World War in the nineties when it when it came along. That I find in this country really interesting because, after all. All of our old war movies, like The Great Escape, The Battle of Britain, all those films, and were always on on bank holiday Mondays, on public holidays, on the TV when there was nothing else on, and you'd sit and watch them again. But Saving Private Ryan had a sort of different electrifying quality in the nineties. And yes. I, I went, I went to see it at the cinema. Um, you know, the, the weekend it it, it, it opened in a, in Leicester Square, in like a cinema with a thousand people, and the effect of the of the start of that film was absolutely electric. I've never, I've never known anything like it in the cinema. John, I mean, what's your, when did, I mean, should we start with where we all saw it, how we all saw it, how we came across it and then talk yeah, about the film? Do. Yeah. Yeah. So John, what, what was your experience of it first? Yeah. See, so for me, it's a really interesting experience and, and kind of personal on some levels because um, the, the movie comes out uh, July, 1998. Um, I had finished up my doctorate just uh, like a little less than two years before that. I was still at the University of Tennessee teaching, and and one of the things I got to do there was implement a, uh, a class that focused on American combat soldiers. Um, like at that time, I covered like World War One through Vietnam. Now I do it World War Two through the present, uh, but obviously World War Two was the core of the class. And I mean, I was teaching it that summer. And so my students, I got to go with them to the, the, the theater and see it. So this is like, you just don't see that happen all that often. We had, we had a lot of anticipation for the film to come out. Uh, I remember with the previews, uh, and I remember telling this to my students, I, I was like, one thing I'm a little leery about is that the captain has his big, you know, railroad tracks right on his helmet. And I, I don't know that many combat officers would have done that. Um, but, you know, now I think to myself, well, that was sort of a nitpicky thing compared to how powerful the film is on some levels. But it was just it was really interesting just to immediately uh, experience that with my students and 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 see how they saw it and and all the rest. So it a, and and it was right when my first book, uh, The Deadly Brotherhood was coming out, which of course is exactly on topic. So it was sort of like the film I had always hoped would be made on the topic uh, that I was so passionate about. That so yeah, I mean that was my experience at least at the initial point. Yeah, I went to a screening of it. I went to a preview screening of it. I can't remember why I was was in, you know, it was in one of those little rather cool screening rooms in um 
I think maybe I was doing a review of it for, for the Telegraph or something like that. But I'd been warned, you know, we'd all been warned about it beforehand. So I think we all, we all knew that there was something kind of quite special and disturbing in that first 20 minutes. And it really was. And obviously, you know, when I was first watching it, I didn't really know what, what I was looking at particularly. I, I wasn't looking at it with any kind of nitpicking whatsoever. I just thought it was great. <laughs> Now, however, <laughs> well, no, that's, that's the thing. I mean, 25 years on, you know, now we're cynical old guys who nitpick everything at the time. It blows you away at yeah. some level. It, it was, I'll say this, it was, it was an incredibly powerful movie experience, of course, especially mm, yeah. in the beginning. It's a movie that starts with, with a climax in a way, you know, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, just for, just for, just for the kind of sort of the one person listening who hasn't actually seen it. So, so the first 20 minutes are just this incredibly concentrated period of Tom Hanks and his assault platoon in a landing craft, getting out of the landing craft, trying to get across the beach and it is those opening moments of 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 D-Day at the Verville end of of yeah dark green Omaha Beach, yeah. and there had been nothing like it up to that point. You know the saturated, filtered colours, all this kind of stuff. They're trying to sort of you know trying to make it as realistic as you possibly could, mm. but also not shying away from the from the guts and the gore, which is one of the things features of kind of every war movie before that that people die and and there's a bit of sort of ketchup thrown at them. Death is always incredibly clean. Yeah. in movies up until this moment it's just it's it's i mean it's very interesting for its pre- presentation of that because it's a sort of horror horror film level of gore presented in a mainstream war movie which is which is the thing that really really makes it different and if you weren't expecting that in the cinema when you know when you first sat down to watch it i mean i remember being i remember being you know really really shocked by it and like i say in a room with a thousand people going jesus christ what uh, and the noise of it as well the, the, the as you say john the film starts with its climax and in a way i mean you know uh, some of the times i've watched it since you very much feel actually it's it's two films the first sequence is a, is like a short in itself and then you, and then you get into then it, and then we switch to Hollywood mode rather than this sort of um, very visceral, very um, uh, a, a kinetic opening opening act. It's it's a, I mean it's a peculiar film for that in the way that almost the start is strangely not relevant to what then happens in, in, right, in a peculiar way. Yeah, right, and, yeah. and you don't know who these guys are. You, yeah. you don't really know any of the characters. If you're looking closely, you can get a sense of it because you yeah. realize, okay, Ryben's a BAR man. The captain is leading. Uh, there's a sergeant in there in the mix too, but yeah. you don't really know their personalities or, or what they talk like or whatever else. Yeah. So it is, it's odd in that they're not introducing the characters, introducing the action. Yeah. Whereas a lot yeah. of World War II films build up to the action, um, you know, like a bridge too far or something yeah. like that builds up to, yeah, the, yeah. to the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the first part uh, that was really powerful and kind of shocking on that some level. And I had studied Omaha beach quite a bit, although not as much as I was going to, I was parsing some things, but at the same time it was so overwhelming. Uh, but yeah. it, it was, it was powerful, but I have to say it was only the second most powerful experience I've had seeing a war film in the theater. And the most powerful uh, was seeing platoon, uh, because because when I saw that, it was a theater really almost full of Vietnam veterans. And I've really? never experienced anything like that. It was transcendent. Wow. Saving Private wow. Ryan wasn't quite like that in its immediacy because the World War II guys were older by 1998 than the Vietnam guys were in 1987. You know, yeah. Um, but it, but it. That's what, when I got out of Saving Private Ryan. It reminded me of that a little bit. I thought mm. this isn't just your ordinary film experience. This was something 
visceral. Yeah. And, uh, and I certainly, you know, my students, certainly have their reaction as you can imagine. Mm. You know? yeah. So that informed yeah. my view too, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's interesting how powerful it's been and how for so, so many years, you know, it becomes bloody Omaha. It's become the, you know, the, this, this, this whole scale slaughter, you know, and this is, you know, on the one level, it's kind of, you know, Hollywood doesn't owe anybody anything. Uh, um, you know, they're putting out the money. It's their film. They can do what they like. And, and so there's no reason for showing the German side of things. Um, there's no reason for telling a history lesson or anything like that. But one of the effects of these movies and, the, and these particularly successful TV series, that they do completely get taken at face value. Obviously, there were moments on Omaha Beach, which was just like that, you know, and particularly in the first wave at 6.30 a.m. on the morning, at the Verville draw and uh, the Colville draws, you know, it was a slaughter. But even at 6.30, there's people getting across the beach absolutely fine, no problem at all, because, you you know, you can look, we've talked about this before, right? You can look at all these after-action reports. They say, got across, you know, one wounded, um, you know, one dead or no dead and three wounded or no casualties at all. I mean, and you're thinking, gosh, this isn't this isn't the narrative I, I, I know from watching <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. And also the Rangers come ashore, if I remember rightly, it's about 7.10, 7.5 p.m., a.m., something like Roughly. that, a little bit later. Yeah. That company, Seed Company, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, the kind of worst is over, I think, at that stage. I may be wrong about that, but I don't think it's, you know, the depiction is is, a, is an accurate, it's a, the level of violence and shooting is is accurate more for 6.30 a.m., I would say, than kind of a little bit later on in the morning when the Rangers are actually there. And again, you know, if you talk to John Ron, I mean, you know, by the time he lands, he's, he doesn't really have much problem at all, does he? he doesn't totally different. Yeah, he's totally, totally different. So it's so it's it's not across the board slaughter at any time on the beach. It is just these plate these particular pinch points and whether obviously where the draws are the widest and the easiest to get up onto the lateral road and so therefore the heavily most heavily defended, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you don't get a sense at all of of how few Germans there are. Mm. on on the headland you know you just think you you just think the germans hold all the aces where in actual fact most of the aces are held by the americans and the kind of vast amount of firepower they've got compared to the germans and there are you know, something like 185 guns over 90 millimeter caliber i think there's two 88 millimeter on the whole stretch of only of, two of, yep only two and obviously there's there's guns inland a bit but but those are the most devastating weapons the 105s that they have inland you, you wouldn't want to be anyone on them you just wouldn't want to be in omaha beach at all on d-day of course but i would say it's kind of sort of marginal whether you'd rather be an american or a, or a german defender i mean <laughs> that's what time what time of the day i guess but i'd rather be an american i think because there's more of us and there's more firepower right. so, and more so it just gives you such a yeah it gives such a distorted opinion that people assume because of the realism of that opening sequence it's very true to life and obviously there's, there's some issues there. The bits of it are really true to life. <laughs> and I do remember, I do remember talking to a ranger success. called Bing Evans, Warren Evans, mm. and he was in First Rangers, and then he was a um, the, he got commissioned in the field, and I think he was Ranger Battalion. He'd seen it when I when I interviewed him, and he said, "You know that bit where Tom Hanks suddenly he can't hear the noise, and and he I think we've talked about this before, haven't we, John? He couldn't mm-hmm. hear the he couldn't hear anything, and it, and he just kind of sort of from an audio point of view just kind of zoned out for a bit. He said I had that exact same experience, and he wasn't alone. And you know what's interesting, Jim, is that um, well, as you know, my wife Nancy's an audiologist, 
And right. so she says, she's told me this is an actual thing. It's called acoustic trauma. Yes. Yes. And you wrote about that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Exactly. And it's, it's exactly a thing. Um, and it's the kind of thing that certainly could happen in that particular circumstance. The disorientation and all, especially coming from the sea too, only adds to it. Uh, but acoustic trauma is not a, not all that uncommon. That's fascinating. It's an, an actual actual phenomenon. Yeah. So yeah. So I think there's there's these parts of it that we'd say, well, you're sort of getting the the highlights uh, in a way of the worst part of Omaha Beach, and it's true. And there's some things that are wrong, like the worst the, lights. The right, the log obstacles are pointing in the wrong direction. I still don't know why they are, <laughs> but you know, okay, but. In the bigger scheme of things, I don't know that that's the most significant aspect of this. I mean, it's um, certainly it's the bunkers aren't right a- either. They haven't got machine guns firing out of observation right. slips. I mean, and if you talk to if you talk to Marty Morgan, he's not even convinced there was a single MG forty two along the whole beach. He's trying to document that there was no MG forty twos. I don't know if he <laughs> yeah. ever will, but I that's a hard thing to, to really chase down. But uh, <laughs> but if anybody can do it, Marty will. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but there's no no evidence that anybody used a flamethrower either. That anybody actually discharged a flamethrower weapon. Uh, but of course, that's Hollywood. It's too good to pass up to have the flamethrower burn out the bunker. Right? I mean. Um, but but these are things that that we notice, but maybe in the bigger picture aren't that important. Uh, next to the the sort of artistic value on some levels, but also the historical. Yeah, I suppose if it, if it point. drives people to being interested in that, and and then discovering for real for themselves, then that's a that's a that's a good thing. I mean, I, I, I the, uh, have you read William Goldman on, um, you know, the, the, the screenwriter William Goldman wrote about Saving Private Ryan, and he, and he wrote he wrote some very interesting stuff about it because when it was being promoted, all the PR was this is the most realistic war film ever made. It's all true, true to life, you know, uh, uh, in its depiction. Right? It's yes, it's a story, but the, the depiction is entirely true to life. Is the was the pitch, and and get this, war is hell, war is horror. And and Goldman kind of, uh, who wrote A Bridge Too Far, of course, he sort of says, well, c- come on, I thought we all knew that. Everyone knows war is hell, war is horror. I mean, th- what, what, are you, what are you taking us for here? But he's, he's really interesting about how he doesn't think the story actually functions properly as a screenwriter because Matt, it's Matt Damon's character, it's Ryan, who's reminiscing about events, and he wasn't – in the beach landing, yet he, yet somehow he's reminiscing about it. it yeah, so structurally it, it doesn't work. So structurally, the film, the film simply doesn't work structurally. But obviously, Spielberg doesn't care about that because he needs to do that opening scene. That he needs to do that to sort of make you sit up and think again about what a war, fi- you know, how a war film can be presented. Mm-hmm. And you need, and you need the Aaron Copeland pastiche trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons I really like um, <laughs> Thin Red Line is because you don't have that. <laughs> every single war movie, every single series, it always has that the lone trumpet, yep. and this is cue yep. kind of you know, yeah, brave soldier, fallen comrade, you know that moment. Well, and, yeah. if, and unless you're really eagle-eyed, um, you might think that the you know the old man at the cemetery is Captain Miller later in life, mm, right? Unless you notice his 101st Airborne button that he's wearing. And, of course, there's so much happening when you see the film initially. You may not notice that. Now it's so obvious. And and I I do think, I mean, of course, there isn't that story arc. But it does create the whole they sacrifice for me, earn this thing, which has a much larger theme. 
this is so I so I still teach that Americans in Combat course, and I have them nowadays. They review the film. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what I do. I have the I, I show them a bunch of different films, including Thin Red Line, and and I have them write critical film reviews, analysis, right. not description. Wow. And and uh, so a lot of them really pick up on that theme of you know I think this movie is about in saying earn this. It's about saying to the rest of us succeeding generations, we need to earn what the World War II generation did for us with its uh, sacrifice in winning the war. You know, that's a lot of times. So I think if Spielberg intended that theme, it certainly shines through and it's salient. Mm. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting too. And um, so I, I think, and, and of course, then you get into the thing of, of some students thinking, yeah, I think we do earn this and others say, no, you know, look where we are and look how terrible this is and that is and how depraved we are, whatever it is. Yeah, um, right. So I, I, it's an interesting conversation, I think. It is interesting that he feels he has to say it though in the film, that the, that the film, it's like he kind of doesn't quite trust the audience to draw that conclusion. That it needs it needs stating in a sort of uh, you know show don't tell is what they what, what writers are told. But he's very much he's very much telling you that's telling what he you. thinks. Yeah. Telling you that's what he thinks. Beating you over the head with it in a way. Yeah. yeah, I know. And you know, one of my one of my buddies who saw it, you know, way back when, said to me, I, I, you know, I thought it was totally unnecessary that that Ryan says to his wife, you know, tell me I've lived a good life and all this mm. kind of stuff. He thought that was mm. sort of like almost breaking the well, it's wall. It's mawkish as well. It's yeah, mawkish. Yeah, with a trowel, yeah. That's what yeah. he thought. But I also do see why it's included too, because I think I've known so many people with survivor's guilt that maybe yeah. that's exactly what they would say in that yeah. circumstance. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I just, I, that's what I like about it. There's a lot of different layers in that respect. Mm. Yeah, I also, I think the other thing is, I think I think the characterization is incredibly good. Um, you know, you've... You, You've got the cross section of the American army, haven't you? In the in the in the in the squad that goes off on this mission to go and find find Ryan, and I think you know they they're good and representative and all that. I think that works, and 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 everyone plays their part very convincingly. And, and mm. apart from it, obviously helps enormously that apart from Tom Hanks, they're they're not famous, so particularly, yeah. so you don't kind of have that association of them being something else. You know, they could yeah, be right. those men. The, where, where it all just goes horribly wrong is in that last 10 minutes, which is just sort of, <laughs> you know, utterly ludicrous. Because actually the, the, the journey and when they, t- you know, and I thought the bit where the guy gets shot in the stomach is really well done as well. It's really mm. disturbing. Yeah. Very upsetting when he dies and you see him slowly dying and everything and you see the, the blood keep coming out of the bullet holes and all the rest of it. You know, that that's, that's almost the most gruesome moment in the whole thing. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and that's really you know excuse the pun but it, it, it's very gut-wrenching really but then you just have this ludicrous end you you know what is it about hollywood that there's got to be you know you've got to have tiger tanks and we you know we all know <laughs> the tiger tank weren't there and, yeah. and and they weren't in the Carentan peninsula um <laughs> and you know the whole thing is just bonkers well, and the it, you know, and obviously the fire planes arrive at the right time, and you know, all of a sudden yeah, now we have twenty ninth and then Mustangs off Thunderbolts, and, and you know, and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that part is Hollywood, though. The battle that leads to it is, is I think, well done and intense. Of course, yeah. Tiger tanks weren't there, and for some reason, that tank couldn't get its machine gun operating, which would have made a big difference, by the way. I think. <laughs> I think so. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's it's there, there's all these grain assault things. Um, but what I, maybe some of my favorite films are not necessarily the Omaha beach ones, but the town fighting, because I mean, you all know Normandy so intimately too. It's, it's beautifully done in terms of the conditions, the rain yeah. that's coming down on you and, and the architecture and how that impacts tactical, a tactical situation. And, and of course the French in the mix and, and all of this stuff too. I think those are some of the better done scenes, honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, uh, that, that 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 in the entire sequence when they're in whichever town it's meant to be, that you know, with the is it sort of Valone or somewhere like that? No, it's, it's, it's Nouvelle Plan, uh, the first right. ones, and of course, there's a big inaccuracy in that they're the paratroopers from the hundred first. Uh, yeah. They would actually from the be from the eighty second airborne. Well, yeah. they they were misdropped, John. They were dropped in the wrong place. I mean, the the the, the, the D-Day story allows right. allows us that surely in entire <laughs> units. That's right, exactly. <laughs> entire intact units. That's absolutely. Right, yeah. I mean, but although I think that whole sequence is, I think is very that whole stretch of the story is very well done. You know, the the scene where the Germans are in the room next door and they the the you mm-hmm. know they they suddenly realise they're there and they're all going to shoot each other that that sort of the randomness it, yeah exactly the randomness and the tension of str- of that kind of street fighting and that kind of encounter and the thing you know the, the, the scene in the rain with the with the sniper in the church and everything it's all i mean it's all i think it's all entirely credible yeah. all that that, that it is, yeah. and it also yeah. brings to mind that dilemma of well do you deviate from what you're supposed to be doing to help out a kid or a family or do you follow orders strictly and what happens if you don't follow orders and all of that so this is another thing i really like about the movie is i think it has a very good sense of um leadership and military roles and and ethical dilemmas and and uh so yeah yeah you remember the aftermath of of when wade is killed the medic at the machine gun post and of course we could debate whether they should have messed with that at all or not that's a whole thing but you know leaving that aside um in in the aftermath of course when there's tension over this and and uh the sergeant uh, and you remember ribbon's gonna leave um, yeah and and what's so interesting to me to this day is that when he's basically he's got a mutiny on his hands the captain does uh, but does he go and kick butt with ribbon no he, you, you'll notice there's Tom Hanks sort of imperceptively glances at Tom Sizemore, who unfortunately just died, who played Sergeant Horvath. Yes. And Horvath patches up on that immediately. It's my job now to go and get that guy and get him back in line. It's not really the captain who should be wailing on a guy that way. And that, that to me is in, in three seconds of film, you have an officer NCO relationship communicated to you immediately like that that's that's really well done yeah that is huh. clever isn't it that yes. is good I, didn't, I hadn't picked up on that yeah. yeah so horvath becomes the the sort of hard guy you know to say hey yeah, you yeah. Know, and he's the one who pulls the gun on ribbon and all that's so hollywoodish in a way but still it's the nco who's your enforcer and he plays that role he's also the guy who's trying to you remember what before they they attacked the gun he's the guy trying to to run interference for a very unpopular order uh, of offering to go himself. You remember he said, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I should go right and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he's, a, he's a very loyal and incredibly effective NCO. Then later uh, in the town, after they encounter Ryan and Ryan isn't going to leave and they're like, Oh my God, you know, what do we do? And so you'll notice, uh, you know, Miller, Captain Miller and Sergeant Horvath go off together, just the two of them away from the men to, to basically decide on what to do next. And they can have this frank conversation. And, and then the other thing that's interesting too, he says, uh, uh, you know, the Sergeant says, uh, you don't want to know what I think. And at that moment, Captain Miller says, no, Mike, I do. He calls him by his first name for the first time in the movie. And that is very significant because it's like, okay, we're just talking as two leaders here uh, who have had our roles in running this small unit. I, yeah. I want your input to know exactly what to do because I, you want my orders. I don't have any right now. You give me right. some guidance. 
And that's a good officer, in my opinion, who, who is doing that, who, who has the humility rather than just saying, ah, you're going to do whatever I want. Shut up and take it. Um, no, he wants input from his NCO. And then when he, when uh, Sergeant Horvath says, you know, what if we stay here and, you know, we protect, you know, the whole thing. And then the captain is sort of like, oh, brother, because that's sort of what he's been kind of thinking. But yeah. now mm. there's that validation. Yeah, uh, yeah, just really insightful. And I, th- I personally, I don't know, but I think that's the influence of Dale Die, the uh, you know the military advisor on the film, who uh, obviously yeah, knows yeah. everything about all this. I mean, who was you know ran up through the ranks himself, uh, through the Marine ranks, mm-hmm. was a was a Vietnam veteran, retired yep. as a captain. You talk about somebody who understands that dynamic. Mm. Yeah, he and would. he was then the um, the the advisor, wasn't he? On 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 he was, and he trained and these guys. He was Colonel Colonel Sink, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Oh, he was in, in Band of Brothers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's been in, a and ton he's of got movies. this long long running passion project, which is to do Lafayette. He wants to do a movie about Lafayette, right. and he I've just heard that. cannot get it up and running. We need to take a break right now. We'll see you in a tick. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. That's all fantastically done. The, the thing of, uh, you know, gripes go up. They go, you, you know, I complain. You complain to your sergeant. He complains to me. I complain to my superior officer. He complains to his. They don't go the other way. It's not for me to to, to wail on you. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's what Miller says. It's really, really, it's really neatly done. And obviously, it, 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 it's a movie. So they are going to discuss this and tell us about this and show us this. You know, all these things that will probably sit unsaid 
really, especially if there's experiences we've been, as we've been told in the you know, they've been, that they've done Anzio and they've done everywhere else, you know, which is the Sizemore's thing with the, with the, with the dirt, isn't it? He's, pots he's of got, sand, isn't it? He's got pots of sand from everywhere. Um, and, and ironically, that I mean, when I went to the Anzac Memorial in Sydney uh, last month, they have the earth from everywhere where Anzac soldiers fought um, and died, or from all from campaigns all over the world. And I and I was really, I was really struck by. Hang on a minute, that's saving that's saving Private Ryan. They've, um, you know, it's a similar idea. It's a, a similar notion. But yes, I mean, it's really, really, it is really, really good on that. Um, the, the relationships and and how they have to work. And I think that I mean, it's. It, you know the thing that Miller's losing his nerve, or thinks he's losing his nerve, and has he has he got anything left in the in his reservoir of courage? I think that's really that's really really interestingly depicted and shown and portrayed. And 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 for that, you can forgive the fact that really Tom Hanks is a bit too old to be playing that role, and they're all a bit old. And, and that doesn't. I think that just doesn't. People you know, do look thing, older though. Then yeah, I know, but I think you also it just doesn't matter. You know, there's things you there's things you have to with movies you have to go. No, actually, you know what? That 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 doesn't matter. The the, the, the drama's working. The the story's like Brad Pitt being a 54 year old tank commander. <laughs> exactly, absolutely, exactly. and yeah, he's exactly so good right. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it it's exactly like that. And it, the Captain yeah. Miller character is fascinating from from so many different leadership angles. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and I think that's something they they really get right. So the way he parries the you know the bitching that they have, you know, I, tell me yeah. the sense of this mission. All of us risking our lives to get this one guy, which is exactly yeah. what American soldiers would say. Yeah, um, you know, and and the way he uses humor to parry yeah. it while still conveying a message, but he's yeah. not one of them. Also, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, just the other thing too, the 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 church scene. Hmm. There you see the, the real sort of moral dilemma of leadership. And there's only one person he can kind of talk to about that. And that's his sergeant, you know, and, and he's talking about how, you know, when you kill one of your men, this is what it does. And, it, you know, that means I save 10 others, uh, 20 others, 30 others. He's just trying to justify it to himself, mm. you know, and he's, he's having that conversation with himself as much as the sergeant. And he's also beginning to experience uh, the effects of combat fatigue, you know, with the shaky hand and all that. I mean, that's, you know, really quite a spot on. And yet he's having to hold it together. But remember, too, he's he's got to preserve that mask of command, uh, which is why you remember in the wake of Wade's death, he goes by himself to completely break down. Um, if I as I'm a private, it's not going to be a good thing for me to see my captain bawling and wailing and yeah. moaning. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like you said, gripes go up. Um, if I'm the captain, I'm, I'm griping to you as a private and complaining that totally destroys morale. It's, it's, I mean, it's interesting really, because lots of war films I actually don't bother with a lot of this sort of stuff, do they? And, uh, uh, the, the, the action is pri- is the, obviously the, the, the action in this film is li- literally comes first. As you said, John, it is, it is the, 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 the primary thrust of the movie is the, is the opening scene. But then the, that these things get talked about. I mean, you don't always, you don't often see that in war movies because they're fixated on delivering you action. The, the Dam Busters, which is, which ends with that really fascinating scene, which is I've got to go write some letters now, which is which is sort of an extraordinary way of finishing that film. And in its 50s emotional tone, a very, a really neat way of, of 
conveying the thing everyone knows that is that that what the cost of war is but i think it's quite interesting that a film in the late 90s that spielberg's spielberg's readdressing the second world war there hasn't been there hasn't been much second world war cinema up to that point in in that that decade and he's sort of he's going to do it his way and i think that's what's so effective about the movie is that the drama the drama is all re- i know with the the action's the thing that ca- caught everyone's attention at the time but as you say this drama is all really really well played and really really deftly written isn't it you know it's interesting you remember the scene where um you know you're back at the pentagon and they're typing up the uh, the condolence letters and all that as, as a prelude to, to mrs ryan getting the news um well a lot of those quotes that you're hearing you know in the in the background supposedly from the letters they're typing they're actually from the paul Mueller papers at um at uh, the Army Heritage and Education Center in, in Carlisle. And Paul Mueller was a commander of the 81st Infantry Division. And what's interesting about his papers is there's some letters like that. But there's also letters from people at home writing to the division, writing to the general and the division staff, which you really don't see all that often preserved. And it's absolutely fascinating stuff. So there's a kind of authenticity to it on on that level. And then that takes us into this whole world of, okay, well, what's the value of life, of one life? Now, so Jimmy Ryan's life now is worth way more because his brothers were killed somehow. So does that mean that that his life is worth more than Richie Ryben? Uh, you know, Edward Burns's character, which Riven certainly pushes back against, right? That's, I mean, I, I just think, again, that sort of takes us into the, the whole idea of combat soldiers and whose life is worth what um, and how this is perceived back home, all of those kinds of things. It's So the action is the action, of course, but there's also these other layers to it that, that I've always really liked, maybe even a little more as time goes on. Yes, mm. uh, uh, and, and as you said earlier, Jim, it's Hollywood doesn't know any, uh, anyone anything. And, uh, <laughs> Don't anyone. It's it's, yeah. it's it's responsibility of people to take care of from what they want. I mean, what what I got annoyed was that you know I remember when Fury came out and the director of that was saying you know this is the most realistic thing ever and you know and obviously he's going to pump his own movie. I get all that, but he said you know we all went to so much effort to kind of try and get it right. And you know as we've talked about ad finitum, you know the Tiger Tank scene is just absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. I mean it's exciting <laughs> yeah, and it's great, it's but it's but it's just you know it's absolutely absurd. It's just, that's not how you get rid of a tiger. <laughs> and 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 uh, but you know it, it, but it, again, we're, it's just, we're here to talk about saving private ryan not how annoying the tank sees in fury come on jim no okay you, okay you, i'm you, not, not going to get that i'm not going to get that no but my point the is <laughs> well uh, the, but the link the link is yeah yeah that, that it all started with Saving Private Ryan in this kind yes. of sort of we're portraying a realistic, this is what it's like. If you want to know what it's yeah. like being in war, this is what it's like. And of course, the other thing that, you know, no movie will ever get across or even a 10 part TV mm. series is mm. just how long everything takes. Yeah. yeah you know, and I how mean, boring it, it usually is. And how yeah. boring it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's all crammed into two hours. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so it makes it much more exciting. Um, <laughs> so you do get this very distorted view. You get this very distorted. <laughs> you do. And everybody's so close together. Especially in the Omaha yeah. Beach scenes, yeah. I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to have to spread out, aren't you? I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot of firepower coming in. We don't yeah. want to be packed together. I mean, it's so. No. But that's film. I mean, I think we know that going into it. And yeah, the episodic nature of it. I mean, that's, <laughs> and and strictly speaking, that's not the way they got off Omaha Beach. On the, in that sector, they go around Point de la Perse and kind of wing around from behind. Um, the the gully isn't really right, and you know, there's there's all these the beaches too short. It. Beach is way too short, especially when you're you're landing at low tide, which they were. 
but on the point of real, you know, re- realism and realistic, uh, you know, depiction, the fact that they murder, well, you could, I've, I've, I've used the word murder, and I don't know if I, I mean it. The fact that they shoot men who are surrendering, um, in that opening sequence, I think is is one of those things where that is that is entirely realistic, uh, and 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 perhaps unpalatable to some people. And I think that, that that's a very interesting, just as he's trying, just as he's trying to show the sort of visceral horror of, of, of warfare, you know, in that, in that era, he's also that they leave that in that, or that there is that, that it shows prisoners being killed. I think is really, really interesting. And is I think part of that same um, sensibility that the film is trying to convey, it's unstinting. It's showing you what would really, what really would happen. There is a lot of, there, there, there is a lot of sort of fluttering stars and stripes in it and, and, and noble bugles and all that sort of uh, stuff. But there are also, there is also the question of do you shoot do you shoot a surrendering German soldier? Because after all, he does come back to you know the the, the, the guy who who they spare in the machine gun uh, nest does come back to 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 kill them. You know, um, it actually happens, and so that that seems to that's a question raised by the film right from the outset. Because those men who are shot in hot blood at the start, you know, it's it. What's the difference? And uh, I think it's really interesting that that the film has that in it too. Because he could they, you could just leave that out. You could just not have had the bit where those men are cut down. And and I don't think anyone would think any differently of the movie, but it's I think it's to the film's credit that it includes that uh, scene, right? And it, yeah, and I, I've always thought so too, because it includes that, that adrenaline, you know, that you have all that fear and all that tension. And, and so initially, yeah, it's like, okay, maybe we're taking these guys prisoner. But then when you have introduced another variable that creates stress, which is that you don't know what they're saying, and they're coming toward you sort of talking like, and you're, you're just like, I, I can't deal with this. This is overwhelming. They shoot them. And it, it turns out, of course, they're Czech and they're speaking Czech, which also I think is another good thing in the sense of yes, showing br- the Aussies who brilliant. are there. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and of course that you'd have some Americans who might have a grudge against them. Uh, some Polish Americans against the Polish guys they're facing at Omaha beach. I know that happened, but, uh, yeah. So you have that. And then you have this other terrible moral dilemma later where you have more time to deliberate whether you're going to kill steamboat Willie, the guy at the machine gun post. Um, and, and of course I think, I think we'd all say in our nice fat comfort here, captain Miller makes the right call, you know, not to shoot a prisoner in cold blood, I suppose, but yeah, it also kind of comes back to bite him too in a Hollywoodish way. Um, but it also shows the guy was still a threat, like Ryben said, right? If he doesn't get put back into circulation, and that's what causes this whole descent, that then, this is the other interesting element of it, Miller then has to finally kind of humanize himself in order to defuse this tension. And the, the other thing, too, that I think is so interesting, once he does, in order to defuse this whole, you know, confrontation between Ryben and the sergeant, um, he reveals that he's known about the you know, the, the pool on him all along. And then he tells, okay, I'm a, I was a base, I'm a baseball coach and all this. And then he, he says quite meaningfully, sometimes I wonder whether I've changed so much um, that my wife won't even know me whenever it is I get back to her. And I think that yeah, is that's a, that's a great line. Yeah, so yeah. many veterans, isn't it? Yes. And, Hold on a minute. I've just got, yep. I've read it just today. He says, I've, I've been neglecting you and everyone else on a grand scale recently and may have to do so for a while longer. Though I hope to God it doesn't work out that way. It isn't so much the lack of time to write as it is the lack of will. What have I got to say anyway? I could tell you I was having a hell of a good time shooting and being shot at, but you would read the lie in that. 
I could try to tell you how I really feel deep down inside, but that wouldn't do either of us any ruddy good. The downable truth is we're in really different worlds, on totally different planes, and I don't know you anymore. I only know the you that was. I wish I could explain the desperate sense of isolation, of not belonging to my own past, of being adrift in some kind of alien space. It is one of the toughest things we have to bear, that and the primal gut-rotting worm of fear. Wow. God. Boy, what an honest letter. That is What's that? Oh, who's so that, Jim? On, who's that again? That's Farley Moat. He goes, things have changed so much since Italy. Too many pals gone west. Too many things that go wump in the night. The long claw of the sea puss getting closer all the time. Too difficult trying to find the sense and meaning in any of this. Pray God we get a decent break. We need it worse than you could ever know. And in actual fact, two days later, they're flung back into action again. Naturally. Yeah, but, but it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just... It's just incredible. But so I, you're right. It's, it's really good. I've, I've got a slightly flippant comment for you, John, which is, mm-hmm. is one thing I don't understand. And I, I, there's, there's something really deeply ingrained in American filmmakers that it doesn't matter how gritty and realistic they are. The moment Brits turn up, they just turn them into twits. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to shoot that. If, if I can't see it, I'm not going to shoot it. You know, and hello, chaps. And they're always and they're always brewing tea and calling everyone chaps and saying what ho, old man, and all this kind of stuff, and being and looking like kind of you know PG Woodhouse. You know, what on earth is that all about? What, what, what is it? Is it is it some deep rooted thing that goes back to Bunker Hill and Lexington and the Thin Red Line, or I don't know? It's just really weird. I mean, one day, one day, will an American movie maker making a war film put in a cool Brit? Wouldn't that be nice? I, I, well, and in this film, it drives me absolutely I mean, course, mad. If I were if I were watching this film as a British person, I'd be kind of offended because well, there is that the money's overrated. Know, the bit with yeah, Ted exactly. Dunstan, like, what, what earth's going on here? You like, know? where did this come from? Wop wop. Yeah. You know, I mean, why why yeah. are we talking Montgomery and and uh, you know, and it's it's straight out oh, of yeah. the movie Patton, right? I mean, it's yeah. like okay, yeah. Because if there's one thing, like I see this in you know, from my <laughs> standpoint, teaching very young students, you know, who are twenty years old or whatever there's one thing they know about uh in relation to like u.s british relations world war ii <laughs> it's the whole Patton montgomery thing and uh, yeah. montgomery was just a complete you know ass and officious ass and Patton was the real hero and uh, you know that's sort of the, the default setting and i i try to encourage them toward a more nuanced view <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're really up against it and it, uh, it's very true i mean there's another example i'll give you not just from this but uh mash i don't know if you guys ever watched the series mash yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you remember like the one time one of the few times i remember where the british were represented there was the, the guy who played colonel crittenden in hogan's heroes so already mm. you have a default kind of idiocy here and, yeah yeah and you remember he doesn't know that his guys are getting peritonitis he's giving him tea naturally of course it's yeah. tea of course not yeah. else. um <laughs> and so hawkeye conflicts <laughs> with him and, and all this and yet you also have an anglophile too in charles winchester who wonders yeah. have you ever had the the whatever at the dorchester you know like he's yeah, enthralled. yeah. so I, I always think there's this duality in in sort of default american culture of sort of just being enthralled with everything british and like 
you know, like all the coverage of the, the, the king and the queen and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And yet also kind of lampooning them. You know, like you said, every character is a twit and all this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and watch it again now. This is the problem. Yeah, me too. I, I'm just I, thinking I, that. I, that's, I'm sort of th- trying to think how I can fit it around my weekend. Yeah, um, but I'm having exactly the same thoughts. Exactly <laughs> the same thoughts. Can't you download it and get it, do it for the plane on the way to that's a really Calcutta? Good, watch it on the plane to Calcutta next yeah. week. That's then you a can really see off the rest of the Pacific. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really well, good idea. The other thing, it it influences subsequent war films, including, of course, most materially, Band of Brothers. Right? Yeah, I mean, mm. it, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. In terms of the combat scenes, especially. So there's whether whether you like or not like Saving Private Ryan. There's no question it's important on that yeah. level, and yeah. it's iconic in the view of of many people. With plenty of yeah, I haven't, scabs, I haven't met to many people who film. don't like it. Oh, I have too, and and uh, and I've met many more people who love it, of course. Yeah, uh, or were disturbed <coughs> by it. Um, you know, but regardless, it's important. I think maybe is the, the thing to take away from it. But also, by the same token, entrenched a set of a, a set of myths and things that that that's the you know again need to be chipped away at. You know that that that. And that's where we come into the equation as historians. We're the buzzkill. You know, the log obstacles are pointed in the wrong direction, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. And the average person's like, oh, I don't care. It just affected me, right? (laughs) We're like, wait, you should know this. No tiger tanks in the Carantan Carantan area in the Cotentin Peninsula. It doesn't exist, right? You know, but that's the fun of it, isn't it? I I guess. (laughs) Um, We hope you all enjoyed listening to us uh, plan our weekend watching Saving Private Ryan. Um, we, we will, thanks for listening everybody we'll see you again very soon thanks John thanks Jim yeah cheers, cheers. see ya